0: Carol Anderson, thank you so much for coming in. And you've written a new book, One Person, No Vote, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy. So last night, you gave a talk at Malaprop's bookstore. And I noticed right on the screen was the quote from a uh, court ruling here in North Carolina, striking down our voter ID law. It said, targeting African Americans with surgical precision. Yes. Uh, Why did you choose to put that quote up as your sort of opener?
1: Because that is what voter suppression does. It is targeting African Americans. And unless we understand that context, because we get all kinds of rationale, you know, protecting the integrity of the ballot box, securing our elections. But what it really does is it targets African Americans to ensure that they do not vote. And we needed to understand that context in order to understand then the ways that these various laws do that without saying we don't want black people
0: to vote. Yeah, you gave a very exhaustive explanation of voter suppression in all its forms, dating back through history. You took us all the way up to the Obama years and this big coalition of voters who turned out and voted for Barack Obama. And then you started talking about, okay, why did that coalition sort of disappear when Hillary Clinton lost the election to Donald Trump? Tell us a little bit about what you talked about last night.
1: one of the things is that with Obama's election, you know, I, I talked about how uh, one of the things you, we consistently hear is that, well, how racist can America be? We elected a black man twice and put him in the White House. But that kind of we is almost a pat on the back for whites saying, look how, what what a great job we did, mm-hmm. except not since 1964 with the passage of the Civil Rights Act have whites voted in the majority for a Democratic presidential candidate. So the coalition that put Obama in power was a a sizable number of whites, but not the majority. Mm -hmm. And then millions, I mean, they brought 15 million new voters to the polls. Uh, African Americans, Latinos, Asian Americans, the youth, and those who made uh, less than $15,000 a year. That was the coalition that put Obama in the White House. Instead of embracing this, saying, wow, look at the vibrancy of our democracy. Look at that. We've got people with a stake in it. Instead, we had a a range of voter suppression laws that targeted that very coalition. Um, They went after African-Americans. They went after the poor. They went after Hispanics using a range of uh, different types of mechanisms, voter IDs, um, voter roll purges, cross-check that leads to voter roll purges. And so that's what I began to lay out, this systemic, systematic targeting.
0: Yeah, and we've seen a number of those here. And you talked about the Supreme Court ruling that basically strips some of the protections from the Voting Rights Act. As soon as that happened, states around the country started enacting new laws and basically, as you put it, going after some of that coalition here in North Carolina, that happened pretty much right away. We enacted this voter ID law. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about, that court struck it down, said it was uh, targeting African-Americans with surgical precision. So now uh, lawmakers are coming back and offering Voter ID as a constitutional amendment. Now, if uh, voters approve this, it would be much more difficult, I would think, for the courts to strike it down. Uh, So tell us a little bit about why, in your view, voter ID is harmful.
1: So the first thing is that we have to dismantle the lie on why you need an ID. To vote, So, the lie says that we have all of this rampant voter fraud. We have people impersonating other people and then going in to vote. And that kind of rampant voter fraud, va- rampant impersonation, sways elections, can sway an election, can steal an election. But... There is not rampant voter fraud. So Justin Levitt, a professor, uh, law professor out of California, did a study where from 2000 to 2014, he went through 1 billion votes mm. and found 31 cases. From 2000 to 2014, out of 1 billion votes,
0: 31 cases. So we're talking about probably .000, 000 something yeah. percent yes yeah.
1: but we need the lie of voter fraud because then what that does is it allows politicians to swaddle themselves in the banner of the flag and saying we are protecting democracy it it creates a sense of peril among the uh, the electorate that we've got to do something to protect our elections and so First, we get this kind of the lie of voter fraud, that sense of peril. And then what looks reasonable, all we're asking are for people to show an ID. But it's not any ID. Because what these legislators have done is to then identify the kinds of IDs, for instance, that African Americans have and don't have. And then to write the rules so that the ones that African-Americans don't have become the, the holy
0: grail in order to access the ballot box. And this constitutional amendment offered before voters is significant in that it will ask the voters to approve voter I.D., Before we know the details of it, lawmakers will then come back in a lame duck session and write the rules for it. So we don't know which forms of ID are going to be accepted.
1: Exactly. So um, here in North Carolina, for instance, driver's license, 316,000 adults in North Carolina, and these are the state's own figures, do not have a driver's license. 34% of African Americans do not have a driver's license. And 55% of registered Democrats do not have a driver's license. So you can see in the lame duck session, making the driver's license the holy grail becomes a way then that um, politicians can call the electorate, how they can just start Xing out so many people, so that you get the kind of electorate where you have politicians choosing their voters instead of voters choosing their representatives.
0: Yeah. Now we had a recent case uh, in North Carolina that we're still trying to figure out. Actually, there was uh, nineteen, I believe, non-U.S. citizens who attempted to vote or or registered to vote and were charged by prosecutor recently. And now there's this huge, huge subpoena. Being levied by a U.S. attorney, we should mention Robert Higdon. He's a Trump appointee. ICE has requested all of these documents. They encompass almost 20 million documents, perhaps more, uh, of 44 counties in North Carolina. Now they've the state board of elections has chosen to fight this and said we can't provide this in the two months that we have an election. We've got to get ballots ready. Uh, the attorney has backed off and said, okay, maybe. January or so and maybe he'll limit the scope of it a little bit more but we don't know why they're asking for these documents with all that you've looked at uh, what do you think's going on here
1: I think what we're seeing is massive voter intimidation so think about it this wasn't just the department of justice asking for it it was DOJ and ICE which comes under homeland security and ICE has been instrumental in targeting Hispanics. Um, so we see it on the Texas border um, where American citizens who are Hispanic are coming back from Mexico and their citizenship is being questioned and their passports are being taken away from them and they're being put in deportation centers. And these are people who were born in Texas. So you that 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 kind of intimidation is old school Jim Crow, because what you do is you put law enforcement as the kind of barrier between the citizenry. And the ballot box, and people were like, "Man, I do not need to deal with ICE. I do not need to deal with the sheriff." So it it creates this kind of barrier. It's it's a a, a, like a force shield that keeps people away. Mm -hmm. It is intimidation one hundred one.
0: You think just putting it out there, you know, and saying, you know, you can give this to us in January, but we're going to want all the documents. There are some people that are going to be looking out there, like I don't want to go to the polls and provide any. Anything for that.
1: Exactly. And this is also similar to remember uh, Trump's Electoral Integrity Commission, yeah. where he was hunting for all of those millions of voters that voted illegally and he would have won the popular vote, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet another lie. Um, and um, one of the things, one of their first actions was to request all of this voting data from all of these states. So, um, asking for the name, the uh, felony record, the um, the how did they vote? Are they Democrat? Are they Republican? I mean, asking all of this, asking for all of this data, and you had people who were going, "I do not want my." My voting history yeah. anywhere near some central database like that, and right. I don't know what they're going to do with it. And so you had people in in um, Colorado, for instance, who were deregistering to vote, who were like, wow. take my name off the voter rolls. And that was over a thousand percent increase that we were seeing coming out of Colorado with people deregistering to vote because they were afraid of what, you know, because you didn't know what this regime yeah. was going to do with that data. That's what this is designed to do here. So even these,
0: even these efforts that are sometimes unsuccessful because this voter commission was disbanded after several months of... Inaction, it seems, uh, or, or squabbling between the Democratic and Republican members of the commission—they don't—they they were just at fighting the whole time. Even those sort of unsuccessful things do take their toll over time, I guess. Let's talk also about early voting. You talked a lot about that um, and uh, the closure of polling sites, and we've seen a recent example of that. Uh, well, we have them in North Carolina. We, we also had a really high-profile case in Georgia where they closed some polling sites, and the people really fought back. Yes,
1: yes. Yeah. And so one of the things is that what early voting is designed to do, it's de- it's designed to deal with the kinds of economic realities that many Americans have. Many Americans punch a time clock. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be at work, say, at 8. Um, you, you get your half hour or hour for lunch, and you can't leave until 5. And then – It also deals with that you have to um, vote where you live. If you're in a larger city, for instance, where you live on on the southwest side of town, Mm -hmm. where you work is on the northeast side of town. Yeah. Trying to get all of that done on a Tuesday is virtually impossible. So you're going to it's going to dock your pay. Mm-hmm. That's a poll tax, and so what the early voting does is it provides an opportunity, um, more days instead of that just that Tuesday in November to vote. Well, <clears throat> legislators looked at this because it turned out that African Americans were were using early voting. Mm -hmm. disproportionately to their numbers. I mean, because many African Americans are working class. And so being able to exercise their 15th Amendment right to vote was like, yes, without having to have their pay docked by trying to do it on a Tuesday. Again, Yes, and so you had these these places like North Carolina and Florida that looked at the voting patterns and began to cut off the days when African Americans were using the poll vote early voting um a lot right mm-hmm. so like the Sunday before the election right where we had the souls to the polls where folks were coming from church to go to 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 vote early yeah um yeah. and 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 the other piece is not only cutting the days um, for that, but also cutting the early voting sites. So it's it's where you can go from, um, like, having 22 early voting sites, like in Charlotte, mm-hmm. down to four. And I, I likened it in our, our my talk yesterday to going to the grocery store. And where it used to be you had 22 aisles open, now you have four. Begin to think about what those lines look like. Right. Um, what they did in in um, Ohio to look like it was being equitable is to say every county gets one early voting site. But there are different population densities in those counties.
0: Yeah, for sure. So,
1: so Pickaway County only has 60,000 people. Hamilton County with Cincinnati has almost 800,000 people. Each got one early voting site. The line for the early voting in Hamilton County, Cincinnati, stretched one quarter of a
0: mile. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So we're seeing this example play out. We see it most high profile, Ohio, Florida, of course, but it's happening here in North Carolina, too. Uh, We also talked about or you also talked about yesterday gerrymandering, which affects uh, really everywhere in the country. It's been. Really bad here in North Carolina. Uh, the last election, I believe um, they said that Republicans won about 52 percent of the vote, I believe, in the last election. But our congressional delegation is split 10 to 3. Yes, And here in Western North Carolina, uh, we have two Republican congressmen. Uh, Asheville, as we know, is of this very highly liberal city, mm-hmm. is split in half. Our representatives are Mark Meadows, who is the chair of the Freedom Caucus and a, and a huge Trump ally, and also Patrick McHenry. Um, so, in that way, I believe that Asheville doesn't feel represented in Congress. But let's let's talk a little bit about gerrymandering.
1: Yeah, gerrymandering <laughs> is 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 like jaws. You know, you it's it's this silent thing that's under the deep waters, and it's like dun dun. dun and it just comes up and it destroys one person, one vote, which is bedrock democracy. So the way that it works is that the Constitution says after the 20 after the the census, that then a legislative body will then draw the district lines, that reflect the population changes that have happened. Mm-hmm. Well, what has happened is that, is that politicians are like, how partisan can we get? And, and understand that in Maryland, uh, the Democrats have done this. In the other states, the, the Republicans have just been lethal. So what they've done, and I'll take Wisconsin, because Wisconsin is also a a really good one, and we'll talk about some more. Mm -hmm. What Wisconsin did was a group of Republicans basically locked themselves in in a hotel room for four months with um, some powerful mapping um, software. And with also the kind of data, the kind of Cambridge analytic data about who these populations are, what are their proclivities, how do they lean politically, and then began to draw the maps about who, what those representatives will look like. Mm-hmm. And they said that their point was, no matter how many votes the Republicans received, they would always control the state legislature. So think about that as a concept in democracy, that – no matter how many votes we get, we will control the power. And that's what happened. In the 2012 election, uh, Democrats received 52% of the vote. They got 39% of the seats. Wow. Yeah, And and the way that these districts are drawn as well is that you get what they call packing, where they'll – sometimes mm-hmm. they, they pack and they crack. So, pack and crack. Pack, yep. pack and yeah. crack. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> with pack, what they do is um, – like a, a a a city they'll make that one district kind of deal so you've got a uh, heavy represent- you know heavy population with one um yeah. So it's going to
0: be a Democrat that gets elected from that city. right? No question. It's no. almost, you know, like it's going to be a landslide, 80 percent, something right. like that.
1: Right. And then what they do is they start drawing these districts in the rural areas, and the suburban areas. And what has happened nationwide is that we've ended up with this kind of mapping yeah. with 16 to 26 additional Republican representatives in the uh, U.S. Congress than would be traditionally be there simply because of the way that the mapping is done yeah what that also means is that when issues are coming to the fore so i, I and this was so stark for me when there was this massive debate over the affordable care act mm-hmm. and you saw the republicans in the house the house of representatives pushing this thing further and further down the pike and but the the um The polls were showing that 70 percent of Americans or more wanted the Affordable Care Act strengthened. And there was this crazy juxtaposition gutting the Affordable Care Act by the House of Representatives, Mm -hmm. wanting this this access to health insurance strengthened by the vast majority of Americans. How do you reconcile that? Gerrymandering. Gerrymandering made these representatives basically voter proof. And think about that. Your representative does not have to be responsive to the needs of the voters. Cracking is what has happened, for like, example, in Asheville and in Austin, mm-hmm. where you know you've got these liberal enclaves. And what you do is you begin to slice and dice those liberal enclaves so that there's only a small section of them. And then there's a larger part that's put into that district that is basically red state.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Which is what they did with our Congress. So they you know, split it, you know, part of Asheville will be in the 11th district, part of it will be in the 10th district. And these are very conservative districts. Yes. And so the voters of Asheville, I think, you know, when they go to the polls, they wonder, you know, what, how do I, how do I do? I, and I think that's, that's one of the, the concerns, I think, is that, you know, we have this problem. NPR all this week is going to be looking at non voters. And a lot of people just feel like their vote doesn't count.
1: Yeah. And that's what it's designed to do. Yeah. I mean, that is really what it's designed to do. All of these voter suppression methods are really designed to demoralize American citizens so that they don't believe that their vote count, that the system is counts, that the system is rigged, um, that it's it's, it's, an act, it's an act of futility yeah. to, to go vote. Because then when you depress the vote like that, where people are just like, it doesn't matter. Right. Then those who are like hardcore uh, <laughs> are there all the time and that their their voices are privileged they're amplified and it then it it comes through in the policies that are then imposed upon mm-hmm. all of us. Um and so this this isn't by accident. Yeah. The way that this thing is structured and uh, the research is so clear on this. Gerrymandering is designed to demoralize. Not only is it designed to heighten the political power disproportionately of the few,
0: mm-hmm. but it
1: is also designed to demoralize because it 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 creates what they call wasted votes. Um yeah. so the, as you talked about the 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 representative in an urban area mm-hmm. is going to get eighty percent of right. the vote. It's like, oh, okay, here we go again. Yeah, right. right. Um, <laughs> and and whereas in Asheville, you know, you can vote, 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 but you are like, there is just no way,
0: right. Um, beca-
1: right, because the way that it had, the districts have been drawn, it's to ensure that even massive voter turnout can't, and that's that's what they think is going on.
0: Yeah, and to the casual voter uh, who's looking at this uh, saying, you know, oh, they've drawn these districts in such a way my vote doesn't even count. Yet at the same time on these same ballots, we have statewide referendums. We have a state Supreme Court race. uh, We have all of these things that that their their vote really is going to matter. And even in these gerrymandered districts, it's not foolproof. Their vote does count.
1: Exactly. Their vote does count. Right. Because what the 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 algorithm is about is to say, and eh, they're not going to come out because we've demoralized them. They haven't seen us turn out. I think we're beginning to see some of that um, in this primary season, where you know, all of a sudden, fifty, there are fifty thousand more Democratic voters than it's like, whoa, what happened there? Right. And yeah. and I'm like, yeah, because voter fraud, right? Voter fraud, voter Sorry. fraud. I came it's got to be voter fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and it's, it's also, as you said, on these statewide issues, they're so important who our secretary of state is, Mm -hmm. because the secretary of state controls the election machinery. And so when the secretary of state is talking about, I've got to protect the integrity of the ballot box via, you know, protect from voter fraud, you're thinking, ah, so you're a voter suppressor. Uh, We don't need another voter suppressor in power. These statewide initiatives like the constitutional amendments that are coming up in North Carolina's race. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, Those are designed to, again, privilege certain power. And diminish the vo- voice, voices, and votes of many North Carolinians.
0: Yeah. Now you talked a lot about many things, you know, last night. So you talked about, uh, you know, the rights for felons, convicted felons to vote. Uh, a lot of things, and all of that can be detailed in your book, um, "One Person, No Vote." And as you said in your talk last night, this is depressing stuff. So how do you end on a message? You know, what do you say to people who who feel? Like they have no power.
1: And this is why um, I end the book with the battle in Alabama, with Doug Jones and Roy Moore, because Alabama had deployed every method, of voter suppression. Felony disfranchisement, voter roll purges, um, voter ID, and then closing access to
0: the departments of motor vehicles so people could even get the
1: ID. Um,
0: oh, yeah. And while, and while you're saying that, I should mention also, um, while we're debating this voter ID topic, we also have lines reported of three to four hours at our DMV offices due to Uh, influx of people trying to get their real IDs. Um, And so those are understaffed. The lines are getting longer. And now we're about to require people to go get a voter ID.
1: Right, right. No. I mean, this, 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 none of this is by happenstance. Mm-hmm. It's not by happenstance. Um, and so they had, as I said, deployed every method in Alabama, particularly against what are, uh, are called the Black Belt counties, where you have a sizable uh, number, and sometimes the majority
0: of the residents are African American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Black Belt, it's named for the, the soil, mm-hmm. but also, of course, because it's a very black area, yes. region of Alabama. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. And so the deployment of that, and I mean, it was designed to depress. And remember, these are also very poor, poor counties.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I'll take the, let's talk, let me talk a little bit about the felony disfranchisement piece. Yeah, go for it. So in 1901, when Alabama's writing its Jim Crow Constitution, it put language in the Constitution that said, if you are convicted of a crime of moral turpitude, mm-hmm. you have lost your right to vote. Alabama systematically refused to define moral turpitude. And so people are like, well, I got a conviction and I don't know if I can vote. And if I try to vote and I've got some moral turpitude, then I'm going to get hit with another felony. I don't need to get hit with another felony right. for trying to vote. Right. And so you've got, and so what happened was that by 2017, um, that would be last year, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because of the pressure and the lawsuits from the aclu the naacp the ldf the league of women voters alabama finally defined moral turpitude Mm -hmm. it was like murder yes rape okay treason i mean these are drug offenses were not moral turpitude and so at that point eight percent of alabamians adult alabamians could not vote And 15% of black adults in Alabama could not vote. And so those groups, then, um, the NAACP and the ACLU, they turned to Secretary of State John Merrill and say, okay, all of the people that you told could not vote. Now tell them that they actually, because of this new law, they actually have their voting rights. And he said, I don't think that's a good use of state resources. Mm -hmm. And – but – but those groups refused to leave that there. When the state refused to uphold its, its responsibility for the U.S. Constitution. Then those groups stepped in and they began to send out a massive publicity campaign. Hey, if you got a felony conviction, you might actually still have your right to vote. Come to our restoration clinics. And they set these up in churches around Alabama. They also had a caravan. They went through, they had attorneys going through the records. Um, saying, nope, not moral turpitude, not moral turpitude. And then they had another group there getting folks registered to vote.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, thousands of of form, uh, convicted felons now were able to vote. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that. And so it wasn't – that was part of it. You also had these groups doing things like – um, vote riders going in because Alabama also has strict voter id um and because it 's a poor state, many elderly alabamians weren 't born in hospitals, so they didn 't have a birth certificate right without that that birth certificate it 's really hard to get a driver 's license
0: right and this is a numbers game I mean politics is about numbers stats you know so when you 're talking about, you know, 15% of black adults can't vote, 8% of the population can't vote. You know, and when we talk about voter ID, you know, uh, some people say, well, what, w- how hard is it, you know, you have to show ID to do all these kinds of things. We're talking about 100,000, 300,000, I'm not sure what the, the figure mm-hmm. is right now of people who don't have an ID to vote. Uh many of them disproportionately black. And we're talking about elections that are often decided by one or 2%. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: this can, this can, this is designed. If you can whittle here and cut there and whittle there, Mm -hmm. you can tilt an election just by systematically denying people to vote. And, and, and in that, that, that conversation, for instance, about, well, how hard is it to get an ID? This is what Alabama did. So Alabama Drafted its law, passed it, couldn't get it through while um, the Voting Rights Act was in power because they knew that there was no way that that racially discriminatory law was getting through a Department of Justice uh, preclearance. But right after Shelby County v. Holder, the Supreme Court decision that gutted the Voting Rights Act, Alabama implemented its law. It defined certain types of ID. So your library card will not get you the right to you know in there to be able to vote. Right. Certain types of government issued photo ID and then decided as well. So um the, the legal defense fund is looking at this and they said, but they don't have public housing ID on this. Mm-hmm. Um and public housing is government issued photo ID. Right. And because Alabama is so poor, they have so many people in public housing, 71% of whom are African-American. Mm-hmm. Alabama decided mm, public housing ID is not an acceptable form of government-issued photo ID. And then Alabama shut down the Department of Motor Vehicles in the Black Belt counties. It took massive pressure, also coming from Obama's Department of Transportation, to get those things opened up. But they didn't open up Like they normally would have. So some are only open for one day a month. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to get that kind of ID. So these are the kinds of stunts that the state is pulling in order to 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 reduce black voter turnout.
0: Right, right. Yeah.
1: And. Civil society got in there and from um, getting people their birth certificates or the documentation they needed so that they could get the ID to um, working with um, previously convicted folks so that they could be able to vote to setting up a private car system because Alabama had sh- shut down 66 of its polling sites. And so to make the distance greater from where the black community was to where the polling station is then. Mm-hmm. And so set up a private car system to get people to and from the polls on election day. I mean, it, it, Having uh, attorneys stationed at the polls to make sure that no kind of monkey business was going on. So one of the things is that... Um, In minority neighborhoods, generally, the polling stations, you have many machines that don't work, and they're not fully staffed, which makes the lines longer. Right. Um, And so you had attorneys there going, yes, the polls close at 7, but as long as you're in line before 7, you have the right to
0: vote. You do not have
1: to leave. And so just having attorneys there telling people what their rights were.
0: Right. I mean it was so they don't just disperse. So right.
1: they don't disperse. I mean, so you had civil society just coming in doing all of that heavy
0: lifting. Mm-hmm. And and you need all that, right? Because we talk about we talk about this stuff on the air. We mention it, you know, on election day like you can stay in line to vote, but the message gets out to certain people, it doesn't get out to other people and and so you actually need these people on the ground. You
1: need them on the ground. Mm-hmm. You need them on the ground. I mean, and and it made the difference in what was a key election, because this is between Roy Moore, a man who believed that the last time America was great is when we had slavery yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Doug Jones. Yeah. And the imagine what it would mean to have a Roy Moore sitting in the U.S. Senate
0: right now. Right. This was a stark contrast. Doug Jones – was the attorney who prosecuted the birmingham bombing uh, major civil rights event and you and you had Roy Moore, who was accused of pedophilia uh, you know from back in the day uh, from long ago, and all this stuff had been you know tossed out as a as a judge yes. uh, several times. Several.
1: Because he refused to go by the Constitution, he right. just refused to abide by the Constitution. Right. So I, I mean, this was, but this was the Republican nominee for for Senate, the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, that race was neck and neck, um, and 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 at first. Bec- Roy Moore looked like he was going to be the overall winner when you're looking at the polls. Mm. And then when the, the votes started coming in and they're getting tallied up, they started in northern Alabama, which is his stronghold. And it, w- it looked almost like an insurmountable lead. And then folks were going, wait a minute, his lead isn't as large as it should be, though. And then, mm. boom, and I love this. There was this tweet by Bernice King, Martin Luther King's daughter, and she went, Selma? Lord Selma, Uh, (laughs) because when the votes came in from Selma, boom, Doug Jones had taken the lead on that. And then it just you saw the tide turn Um, the um, John Merrill believed he had thought that the overall voter turnout would be 25 percent for this special election. It was actually 40 percent, Wow! but it was 45 percent in the Black Belt counties. The counties that had been suppressed the most actually turned out at a higher rate than the state of Alabama.
0: And why do you think that is? Why did Black voters come out so strongly for Doug Jones?
1: I think it was several things. Um, I think one, it was because Roy Moore made it really clear Um, that if he's in power, black folks were going to go back to as far back as he could push them. I think that um, the the work of the NAACP, the League of Women Voters, the ACLU, the Legal Society – Black pack, black voters matter. All of these groups getting in there, doing that heavy lifting, mm-hmm. provided the kind of infrastructure that should have been there yeah. anyway, but that the state refused to provide. That allowed people then to to move those hurdles, those they say in church, those stumbling blocks um, that Alabama had tried to put in the way, and they just kept moving them aside. It was. Um, it was providing a mechanism when an election is that stark mm-hmm. and when basically your lives are on the line. And one of the things that they did, I, I mean, I love this. They understood that what you needed to have were Alabamians talking to Alabamians mm-hmm. and, and, and saying, hey, what do you see as the issues? And they would talk about access to health care. Good schools for their children, mm-hmm. um, jobs with living wage with a living wage. I mean, so these kinds of issues these are these are these kinds of fundamental issues that most Americans want. You want access to health care. You want good jobs. You want um, good schools for your kids. And and then talking with Alabamians, black Alabamians about what these policies emanating out of these spaces could mean for that. Mm-hmm. So making that clear connection, it was like, oh, yes. And 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 that's where you saw um, uh, Selma, <laughs> Lord yeah. Selma.
0: <laughs> yeah, very, you know, almost, you know, it's like come in full circle. You know, Selma, obviously, this very significant place. You talk about the work of the NAACP, and here in North Carolina, the NAACP has been uh, one of the prime opponents of uh this legislature reverend william barber mm-hmm. was leading the state naacp and started this moral monday movement yes. where they would go to the legislature and uh, thousands and thousands of people would come and and support this protest movement and now he's leading this national campaign the poor people's campaign mm-hmm. they're kind of doing that i think in the mold of martin luther king mm-hmm. jr kind of picking up the mantle mm-hmm. um and yet we still got this legislature, you know, it's it, we're, we're eight years in, um, which shows, I think, the power of these gerrymandered districts and all of these uh, suppression techniques. Um, so what should people do?
1: This is we need a massive voter turnout to just overwhelm. The, all of the barriers that they've put in mm-hmm. that massive voter turnout is like the kind that we saw in Alabama. There were barriers everywhere. If those barriers had just been if people had just said, oh, well, you know, it's, it, we would have Roy Moore. As a U.S. senator sitting up there now getting ready to vote on Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court, that's what this means. These things have implications. That massive voter turnout as well will deal with these statewide ballot issues that will undercut the kind of grab for power, absolute power, that we're seeing coming out of the North Carolina GOP in, in the legislature. It, that, that, that turnout as well is so essential because it's going to set the stage for 2020. And 2020 is where, um, after the census, they're going to draw the maps again. Mm-hmm. If if there's this sense of our voter suppression techniques worked, and now the population is absolutely demoralized, we can really draw these districts so that we can see to it that there is like one or two Democratic districts uh, delegate d- districts yeah. in North Carolina, and we can up ours again. I mean, that's what what happens when they they don't feel like they have to be responsive to the needs of their voters, to the needs of their population. Yeah. Um, they feel that they have an agenda and they've got financial backers, and that is who they respond to. Right, And that is a, con- a significant undermining of democracy. And I believe that we need to fight back.
0: One person, no vote. How voter suppression is destroying our democracy. Carol Anderson, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too,
0: me too.